Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. Uh, My name is Brandon Freeman, and I am on staff here at the church and also the pastoral candidate. So uh, if you've been tracking with us, you'll know that last week we finished up our series going through the Gospel of Mark. So since the beginning of the year, we've been in the Gospel of Mark looking at the life and teachings of Jesus, and in particular looking at how does Jesus inform what is our theme this, for the year that we should be serving in our place of calling and giftedness. So looking at how did Jesus serve and, and who was this king that we are serving. Next week, we are going to be starting a new series that we're calling Calling. You know, there's that phrase in the middle of our theme, this idea of us being called to something, our place of calling and giftedness, but what does that calling actually mean? That's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and if you look at the scriptures, there's a lot of different senses in which we are called, right? We are called to salvation. We are called to a particular kind of life that Jesus has emulated for us, and now we're called to live into that. And then there's also these particular callings, these things that God puts on our, our hearts and into our lives that we are supposed to do in terms of our vocation and you know, whether to marry, whether to who to marry, all of those things are these callings. And there's a lot of questions that, that we have around, okay, how do you figure that out? How do you discern that? And so that's what we're going to be looking at in our next series is what are the different things that we are called to in the scriptures? How do we go about discerning those things? For today, though, I want to talk a little bit about where COR is going. So at the beginning of April, we had a leaders retreat where a bunch of the leadership, which included elders, deacons, community group leaders, and a number of our our ministry heads came together, and we started thinking, praying, brainstorming, and seeking God for what are we supposed to be and do as a church? And that process is still ongoing. It's something we're still working on. The session right now is taking a lot of the ideas and thoughts that were generated from that and working on how do they go about giving guidance, kind of practical, concrete guidance to the different ministry areas about how to to flesh that out. But for this morning, I wanted to share with you a passage that was important that came out of that retreat that helped shape um, some of the ways the leadership was thinking about what is... C-U-R supposed to be about? What are we supposed to do? And in that passage is Acts 2, 42 through 47. So when I think about what is a church supposed to be, there's kind of two passages that for me jump out. One of them is the one we're about to look at, and the other is in 1 Peter 2. And I think Acts 2, we are going to see a little bit of what did the early church, what were its behaviors, what were the things that they did kind of coming out of the call of Jesus. And then I think in, in 1 Peter 2, one we're not going to look at as much today, there's a lot of these identity markers of who the church is, and it uses a lot of kind of Old Testament language for that. But today, and this was the passage that we looked at as a, as a leadership team, I want to spend some time in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. So to summarize a little bit, this is actually a great passage to follow up our, our study of Mark, because you'll remember The Gospel of Mark ends with the Great Commission, with Jesus telling the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Anna Lee preached on that passage along with its its corollary in Matthew, 
about this call that Jesus gave to his disciples. And we see at the beginning of Acts kind of the continuation of that. So Acts 1 has Jesus ascending up to heaven, but before he goes, he gives commands to his disciples that they are supposed to wait. They're supposed to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and he tells them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that passage, that, that little verse right there, actually serves as a little bit of an outline to the entire book of Acts. Because if you follow Acts, it starts out with this, this small community of Jesus' disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And then in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost, and we see Peter give his initial sermon, and, and people are hearing the gospel for the first time in, the, in their own language. And it says in 141, or excuse me, 241, so those who received his words were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So very rapidly, you have the church grow from this little group that's waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, and then there's 3,000 people added. And, and that's kind of the gospel going to the Jerusalem area. And then as you follow along in Acts, you see it first going geographically to Judea, the area right around where Jerusalem's at. And then crossing into Samaria, which is, yes, growth geographically, but it's also growth culturally. This is where you see the gospel beginning to cross over from Jewish audiences to other people groups, right? These Samaritans who were sort of half Jews, half not Jews, and honestly, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along very well. And yet you see the gospel crossing over into Samaria, breaking down these cultural and ethnic barriers that existed there, and people coming to Jesus and the church growing to include these new people groups. And then going to the ends of the earth, you see the inclusion of the Gentiles, people who are not Jews, who, again, these massive cultural and ethnic barriers were taking, that, that, that should have prevented the gospel from going forth. God breaks those down, and God is bringing all these different people groups into one body of Christ, and you see the gospel going out, and, and Acts ends with, with Paul going to Rome, sort of representing this is the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So you see the Acts is sort of the living out, the early church living out the Great Commission. But here in Acts 2, we have this moment right after these 3,000 souls have been added to the group in Jerusalem, and we get this window into what early church life was like. So I'd like to read that now. This is starting in verse 42 of chapter 2. And it says this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to focus a lot today on verse 42. We're going to look at the rest of the passage, but... I want to spend some time on this because in verse 42, it says that this early church community was devoting themselves and it lists out four things that they were devoted to. 
that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So, so what are these four things? So the, the apostles' teaching, right? This first thing they're talking about, right? The disciples had been there with Jesus. They had seen everything that had happened. They had heard all of his teachings. And so the early church was a lot of the disciples teaching all of those who were coming into the church about what they'd seen, what they had seen Jesus do, what they had heard Jesus say. We also know from the epistles that they also were teaching the Old Testament. Right? They had the, the Jewish scriptures, they had the Old Testament, and they were teaching that as well, but with a particular angle, understanding the ways that now that Jesus had been revealed, the Old Testament was pointing to and, and revealing and was sort of the, the, the background for understanding who Jesus was and what he did. And you can see that throughout the epistles of them, the ways that the, the apostles taught the Old Testament, but also demonstrated the ways this pointed to Jesus. So that was the first thing that they were devoted to. Second, they were devoted to fellowship. Now, this is a word we need to spend a little time on. So when I was growing up, I, uh, I grew up in a Lutheran church out in Sugar Land called Faith Lutheran. Some of you may know it. It's over off of Brook Street. And we had a fellowship hall. Did anyone grow up in a church with a fellowship hall? Okay, a couple of you know what I'm talking about, right? So this was a separate building, and this was where all the stuff that wasn't a worship service would take place, right? If you had a potluck, you had any kind of event, it took place in the fellowship hall. And it was great. But in some ways, that use of the word fellowship misses a little bit of something, because it would lead you to think that what fellowship is about is it's just about getting together. It's just about relationship, which that's a part of it, but in some ways not the main thrust of what fellowship is. Because if you look at what fellowship is about, it is about us having something mutual together. There's a commonality, a kind of interdependence that is at the idea of fellowship. So to give you an example, you may have a friend that you like go hang out, have coffee with, talk about life a little bit with. Like that can be a real friendship but you're not really having fellowship yet. Now, if you move into the same apartment and have common furniture and are eating each other's food, now you have a commonality. You have something that you are partaking in together that is, that is more the idea of what fellowship looks like. Now, in the New Testament, there is this idea of us having fellowship with God, us having fellowship with the Father. And there's this idea that when we are saved, we come to partake of something. We come to partake of being in Christ. And that is something that is a spiritual reality that is true for all of us. So there is an extent to which we have fellowship because all of us have come to partake in the salvation of Jesus Christ. But what I find fascinating about this kind of early church community, is the way that it didn't just stay as a spiritual reality, it then manifested itself in the ways that they had life together. So what you see here is that in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has had need. That is getting at the concept of fellowship. This is a way that they lived this out where there was a commonality, there was a mutuality, there was a partaking together of life, there was an interdependence that they were supposed to have 
that went just beyond surface relationship. There was a deep, like, abiding together and interdependence on one another. So this is the second thing that they say they were devoted to. Third thing, the breaking of bread. For a lot of people, this is their favorite, right? They got together for communal meals. It talks about, in this passage, them coming together and having dinner in one another's homes. This is something they seem to do with regularity, right? And this is getting at just that that intimacy of having someone over into your home. And that may not seem like a big deal, but I don't know if any of you have had the experience of ever having someone in your home that ended up making you feel unsafe or uncomfortable. That in some ways kind of gets at the opposite of that. Like you kind of get that sense of there's a vulnerability when you have someone into your home, when you're sitting down to a meal with another person, there is an intimacy, there's a vulnerability to that that they were living into. They were having each other into each other's homes. And it's interesting that you kind of see that. We're going to look more at this in a minute, but look at in, in the with Jesus, right? Jesus would go into people's homes. That was one of the things that the Pharisees kept giving him a hard time about was who was he eating food with? Who was he dining with? Because that represented something about who he was willing to have in his circle, who he was having to have relationship with. So this is the third thing. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The fourth thing is prayers. And it says they voted themselves to the prayers. So it's not just prayer in general. Likely what is in view here is there was sort of set times of prayer uh, that they would have had from their, their kind of Jewish background. They, it also talks about them going to the temple and sometimes participating in prayer there. So there was a regularity, a pattern to their prayer. But we also see then later on in the rest of Acts as well as the epistles that they didn't just restrict themselves to these formal times of prayer. Like prayer was just saturated in everything that they did. Over and over and over again, you see the apostles calling the churches to times of prayer and to pray for him. Um, So that is something that they were devoted to. Now, one of the things we haven't talked about then is what does this word devoted mean? Right? Okay, so we have these four things that it says they're devoted to, but what does that mean? So I was curious, when you think about the word devotion, what are some things that you see people get devoted to? Just shout it out. Family, sports, career, food, right? So so we have the sense of there's these things that end up taking a lot of our time, our energy, uh, a lot of our focus. I think that the two things I see that sort of are characteristic of devotion is that they are consistent and they are persistent, They're consistent in the sense that we do them over and over and over again, and they are persistent in the sense that when they are opposed, we still find a way to make it happen. We still put our focus and attention on that. And so the early church are devoted. They were consistent and persistent in these things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So the consistency, I think, makes sense. This is something they were doing over and over and over again. Why would these things need persistence? Well, I think the reason is is because all of these things, if you look at the early church, were opposed. They had difficulty in doing these things, right? A lot of the, the letters in the New Testament were written because 
the apostles' teaching was being opposed, right? There were others out there who were teaching things that were false doctrine, that were not the true gospel. And so there was this need to continually be persevering, to be continuing to pressing into the things that were true about God, revealed in his word, and being taught by the early disciples. Fellowship. The church had a lot of struggles with fellowship early on. Right, if you think about when the gospel was crossing into these different people groups, these different ethnic groups, these different areas, like there was some real struggle there about how now are we going to do life together? How are we going to have fellowship with these differences? You know, you can think about later on in Acts where there was a an inequity where some of the the Greek widows were not receiving their 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 portion of the of what they needed to live. Later on in Acts 15, they have to have a huge church council to figure out what are we going to do with these Gentiles who are coming into the church? How do we have fellowship together when they aren't following some of the Old Testament laws and traditions that we do, right? Fellowship was something they had to really persevere in as an early church in order to make happen. That kind of communal life together, that interdependence on one another is something that takes persistence. Breaking of bread, surely that was easy, right? I mean, how hard is it to get together and eat food? Well, two things. One, I think it's interesting, 1 Corinthians 11, you go read there, and Paul is having to write the church because they were getting together for their meal, and some people were going hungry, and some people were, like, overeating. And Paul had to write and instruct them, no, guys, like, that's, that's not how you break bread together, Right? But even beyond that, we talked about earlier that there is an intimacy that comes when you have someone in your home. There is something to what you're saying about another person when you invite them in, which means that if there is relational brokenness, if there is a lack of forgiveness, if there has not been restoration and reconciliation between you and your brother or sister in Christ, there's a good chance that breaking bread is not happening with them. So I think this is actually harder than it looks in the sense that this is something you have to persevere in because it also requires you to persevere in patterns of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration with others. The last one, prayer. Again, in the epistles, you see them over and over having to remind people and calling people to pray. But just from personal experience, how many people here have at some point in your walk with Jesus tried to say, hey, I'm going to make prayer a more central part of what I do? Anybody? You... How many of you found that to be difficult? <laughs> right? There's something, too, when we are really seeking to pray more, to seek God more in prayer, there is a resistance there coming from some kind of spiritual, personal, fleshly, there's just resistance. All of these things take perseverance. So you see the early church here devoting themselves, being consistent and persistent in these four things. But why these four? Because there are a whole lot of things that you can point to in the New Testament that are not these things. This is not the totality of the church. This is not the totality of the faith by any stretch. But it does seem that these four things were important to the early church. And I think the reason for it was is because you also see these things being central to the ministry of Jesus. Teaching, central to what he did. 
right? Preaching, teaching, and healing was central to what Jesus did while he was here on earth. They're emulating that. Fellowship. How did he go about training these disciples? He had fellowship with them, right? They would, they basically lived together. They traveled around together. They had life together. They, they, they shared sort of a, a, a common meal together all the time. Like there is this this deep fellowship that existed among them, a common life together that facilitated their growth spiritually and their their understanding of who he was. Breaking bread. As I mentioned earlier, you see frequently Jesus going and breaking bread with people. Like the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, he's watching Jesus come down the road. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm coming to your house today, right? I think there's a song about that. This is something that he did, and and again, this is something he got in trouble for. People didn't like the fact that he was going and breaking bread with tax collectors and sinners and all these people that the Pharisees said you shouldn't be eating with, but there is the sense where breaking bread with others was a part of how Jesus just did ministry. And getting away at times of prayer, again, something that Jesus did on a regular basis. He would go and be by himself with the Father. You also see his public prayer life in places like The end of John, where you see him praying over the church, praying over his disciples. These were things that were essential to what Jesus did because they also, I think, are about the pursuit of the Father, both individually and communally. So it's not just about these things being practices for the sake of the practices. They are practices that are pursuing God both individually and corporately. Now, if you're an astute read of the Bible, there might be part of you that goes, now wait a minute. I thought here at the beginning, Jesus said that what these guys were supposed to be about was gospel proclamation, right? They were supposed to be being witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? Where is that here? Why is that not one of these four things? Well, one, we have to remember that this does come after chapter two, where most of the chapter has been spent with Peter giving his verbal proclamation of the gospel. So this is certainly not missing that as an important part of what the church is supposed to be about. But I think that what we see here is something that is complementary to that, which is a community life that is a testimony and a witness to Jesus. Right? It is a community life that is supposed to be a draw to Jesus because it is emulating the things that he did while he was on earth. Our community is supposed to have the aroma of Christ as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 17. One of the sermons I remember from Pastor Icky that has kind of resonated with myself and Ellen was he preached a sermon called, um, I think it was like Smells Like Starbucks or something like that. And And he used this analogy of, you know, for many of us coffee people, if you were to blindfold us and stick us in the middle of a Starbucks, we would be able to identify that place immediately just by the smell, right? We wouldn't need to see the baristas. We wouldn't need to see the counters. We would just know immediately where we were at because it has that aroma. And that's sort of the idea is what does a community look like that has the aroma of Christ such that when you are around it, you just know this is Jesus and that that is something that is supposed to be a draw to people who are who don't know him. Now, we have to be a little careful with that because 
it can be very tempting to sort of think about, okay, what is a, a, an idealized version of community that like has all the best music and the, you know, do things in such a way that it's just like people who will come here and they'll just be awed by how cool the service is and by how great all the, the things we do are. And there's maybe a place for us to think about how do we do those things well. But ultimately, the draw is supposed to be Jesus himself as exemplified in community and not some idealized version of who we are or some particular style of worship or ministry that we do. It is supposed to be Jesus himself that people come and they have that aroma. They have that as their draw. And I think that part of the way we exemplify Christ is yes, when we are devoted to these things and we do these things well, it puts that on display. But also, we put it on display when we recognize we have messed up and we walk in patterns of repentance and forgiveness and grace of one another. That too is a huge part of what it looks like to be a community that puts Christ on display. And, and I think that's important because sometimes for the, for the type A among us, when we see a list like that and we see, you know, there's the standard of things we're supposed to be doing, we start to hyperventilate a little bit, right? Like there, this is not denying we are supposed to be a grace-filled community, both in terms of how we do life together, but also in particular in the way we have relationship with one another. The forgiveness is supposed to be a central part of that and is also how we put Christ on display as a church. It says here at the end of the passage that they were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that, to me, is an exciting and compelling image of a church where people are, day by day, coming to know Jesus. But I think it's important to see who the actor is here. It is God here, it is the Lord adding to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. That is the Lord's work, it is the Lord who ultimately saves it is the call of the church to be a faithful witness to him, both in what we say and what we do. And the result of that is up to the Lord. I say all this because in the fall, our focus as a church is going to shift towards gospel proclamation. Because as a community, we want to press into this great commission that God has given us to go and make disciples of all nations. And there's a part of that that means that we want to work on trying to be effective in our witness. And one of the things we talked about at the leadership treat was the need for there to be training in this, for us to know how to explain our faith well, how to tell our testimonies well, how to witness well to others in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. How do we do that? And there is absolutely room for us to do that kind of work. But what it's also going to look like is us exemplifying a community that shows Jesus well. It's going to be both the verbal witness as well as us pressing into the things that they talk about here in Acts 2 so that we as a community have that aroma of Christ. 
So what that's going to look like, so I talked about how we had a leader's retreat, and the session is, is taking thoughts right now, taking all that brainstorming work and working on how do we go about give guidance to ministries. And part of that is going to look like how do we as a church press into these things that we're supposed to be devoted to? How do we make sure that we as a community are devoted to pursuing God and his word? Devoted, consistent, and persistent in seeking God and his word? How do we press into a deeper sense of fellowship as a congregation where we have, I love just the, I love the community here. I love coming here on Sunday mornings and just seeing the obvious grace and love that you all have for one another. That is one of my favorite things about being a part of this church. And so how do we move into even more us having life together, this kind of mutuality, this fellowship of caring one another for each, for each other well? How do we devote ourselves well to breaking bread together, making that a consistent pattern of what we're doing, not just in terms of official events where we have fellowship lunches, which is good, but also just where we are in, in patterns and have space in our lives for us to invite each other into our homes? And are we devoted to prayer? Are we just longing to go and pray to God both individually and corporately? Is that a part of our life together, something we do consistently and persistently that when it gets hard, we still press in to pray? These are the things that we're going to be looking at. How do we do this well as a community? The plan is, is that we're going to be making plans. How do, we, how do we encourage our ministries in those things? Uh, we're planning um, to take a Sabbath in August, something I wanted to let you know. This is a little tangential from the, the message today. But as a church, we want to take time to not just work, but rest. This is something we've done in the past that we want to do again this year. So in the month of August, we are going to be taking a time of Sabbath as a church. That means that a lot of the ministries are going to be pulling back from events. Uh, we're going to, a lot of the Leadership teams and ministry teams are not going to be having business meetings, things like that. Something to allow those who have been really pressing in the last couple of years, give them some time to rest. Um, and also for our entire congregation, inviting you to think about not just your church commitments, but even your commitments in general and how can we step as a congregation into better patterns of rest. So I just want to let you know that's coming in August and then coming in the fall is when we're really going to begin pressing hard into this idea of how do we go about doing better gospel proclamation, both in terms of our verbal witness and our community life together. That being said, it probably doesn't surprise you that you don't have to wait to the fall to start being devoted to these things, right? It's not like that there's a timeline where, okay, now it's September, now we got to be devoted to these things. No, this is something that I think there is a calling for us to begin pursuing now because there is a corporate aspect to this, but there's also an individual aspect to this, right? That this is about us having patterns of, of being devoted to these things for the purpose of seeking the Father, for the purpose of emulating Christ, and the purpose of being a part of a community that is an effective witness, so for today, my ask of you would be, where are you at on these things? If, if, if you were to answer the question, 
What am I devoted to? How would you answer that? And would you be able to answer, yeah, I'm devoted to the pursuit of God's word. I'm devoted to having fellowship in the body of Christ. I am devoted to breaking bread with others, and I am devoted to a lifestyle of prayer. My guess is for all of us, there's probably some of those where we'll go, yeah, kind of, and others where we're like, you know, I don't know that I could honestly say that I am devoted to that. And if that's the case, I want to invite you to just look at and pray about what is maybe the heart behind that? Why is it that those things are not things that you're devoted to in your life? Um, and, and begin the work of, of seeking the Father for why, why, am I, why don't I care about this? Why am I not devoted to this? Why am I not consistent and persistent in doing these things? Knowing that there will be um, a lot more that you'll hear about this in the coming year, but I think we can begin now seeking the Father for those things and listening to him for how he would have us pursue them. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this uh, example of the early church community. Lord, uh, we just confess to you that, Lord, these areas are things that we, we know we're supposed to be devoted to, but sometimes, God, they just don't seem as important on Monday morning as they do on Sunday morning. So I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts, change our hearts, that, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would change us, uh, that we would long to do these things. Again, not out of any kind of self-righteousness or, or any kind of just practice, God, but out of a, a genuine longing to seek after you and to be an effective witness for you. Lord, we love you and give you all the praise and the glory in your name. Amen.